Hi, everyone. Before we start, I want to share a message from our supporter on the podcast, Charles Sturt University. We talk a lot about climate and environmental science on this podcast and some of the amazing work women are doing in these fields. If you're looking to learn more about this and potentially thinking about pivoting your career in this direction to help in solving complex environmental challenges, then check out the Graduate Certificate Environmental Management at Charles Sturt University. It is a short course giving you specialist knowledge about conservation, natural resources or water resources. Start now and you could be upskilled in less than six months, gaining a certificate that will provide credit towards a master's. Check out more at their website, study.csu.edu.au forward slash graduate dash certificate. Now to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley. I am the publisher on Women's Agenda and I'm with our editor-in-chief, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. How's it going? Good. On the agenda today, we will be going over the National Press Conference address this week that has gotten everybody talking in mostly a good way. We'll be looking at the new data that shows just how much more men are taking home than women when it comes to total remuneration. We'll touch on some more wins, including some pretty epic things that occurred in Parliament this week and much more. Thank you for listening. Tyler, it's been a big week. It's only, what, the first or second week of February. I've lost track now. I think I have been still saying Happy New Year to people because it's just been such a weird time. But we're straight back into it. What is your win this week? This week was pretty hectic, wasn't it? I just feel like there was so much that happened and I was actually thinking about how we address this podcast because it seems like there's a lot to bite off. But my win this week has to come and I'm sure it's the same as thousands of women across the country, but it has to come from Grace Tam and Brittany Higgins and that unreal address that they gave at the press club in Canberra. They have just been incredibly fearless and fierce, you know, holding government to account. And I just was so moved by their words and the power that they both clearly demonstrated. It was a really interesting event to watch as well. Obviously, it was a packed house at Canberra's Press Club. Only four government ministers attended and you could see how awkward they felt the entire time. And I wrote a subsequent piece this week just off the back of it around Grace Tame. And how she's really changed Australia in a way that Scott Morrison never really will. And she spoke about, you know, a senior government, well, a a government-funded organisation calling her and threatening her on the eve of the Australian of the Year Awards and saying to her, you know, please don't say anything damning about the Prime Minister because you hold a lot of influence and he will have a fear of what that influence could mean. And I reflected on that and I was like, of course he has a fear of her influence because she leads in a way that is the exact antithesis of of what he has demonstrated. You know, she's so courageous, she's so honest, she holds so much integrity and the address by both of those women this week I think just reverberated across the country and I think we should all just be so incredibly grateful. 
Yeah, and ready to do big things. They are both so young and amazing. So can't wait to see the next steps, which will probably be tomorrow, which will be next week, because they won't let up on this issue. It's still, we're still not getting the action that should be occurring. We're kind of getting recommendation one on the Kate Jenkins report. But obviously, even the apology that we had this week in Parliament, that was about women in Parliament. We need to go so much wider than that. Like that was a very small baby step. But We didn't see, you know, what happens next, what changes will be implemented. We got that apology, but not the next steps, which are so critical. So I know that they're doing such a wonderful job and we just should be so grateful that they're out there making sure and pressing on these issues. And Tal, I just feel like you're a little bit unfair saying that Scott Morrison hasn't changed. (laughs) He's done something. He has changed Australian politics. And, you know, these lies are documented. I'm not just saying this and thinking that, oh, all politicians lie, but Scott Morrison lies and it is out there and he lies at press conferences and he sort of lies in the face of audio being presented back to him where he said other things. So I think that he certainly has changed Australia in that sense, in the fact that, you know, you start here and then what's the next prime minister going to be like? Hopefully not that. But it's like you kind of like break the seal of saying, hey, it's okay to not give a shit about your legacy and it's okay to not care about the things that, you know, you said a few weeks ago or to pretend that we never heard you say those things. It's okay to try and use misinformation back against the media for whatever time of day it suits your political needs. So... And I think the saddest thing I think about Scott Morrison's leadership is that he came in in 2019 and it was the mouth of a decade in which we needed so much to be done. And he had so many moments in which he could have really demonstrated meaningful leadership and positive, progressive leadership on a number of issues, you know on action against climate change, on Indigenous welfare, on gender equality, you know, social progress more broadly. There are so many things that he had a chance to really create a really meaningful legacy and and not to mention, of course, you know, in his leadership, which actually ended up being so dire during the bushfires, but he could have really done something and shown Australia what he was made of at that point and throughout the pandemic as well, which he's essentially you know, bungled at every turn and handballed decisions to the states and made a right mess of it. You know, we we really are scrambling at the moment. Aged care is in this absolute point of crisis. And he won't leave a legacy. He doesn't care about a legacy. He has said that. It's hard to know what he actually wants to do. Yeah, like anyone who says openly that they don't care about their legacy, I feel should be signalling alarm bells in terms of what the hell they're doing in leadership, but especially so in politics. I thought that's why you go into politics because you have this idea and ambition to try and change your part of the world for the better or according to whatever agenda that you want to put there and hopefully that is for the better. So that was certainly disappointing to hear when he said that comment. I mean, not that I can be any further disappointed by somebody, but (laughs) it was additionally disappointing. But I might say, Tyler, that, you know, Oh, no, I won't say. I was about to say this in a positive way, but he doesn't even get the legacy of the religious discrimination bill because that has turned into chaos as well and that won't happen. And I actually wanted to point to that as my win for this week. In saying that, the National Press Club address was my win, but you already took that one, so I'm going to go with this one, which I thought was also an interesting 
shift in politics. But I guess for me it was the five Liberals who crossed the floor over the religious discrimination bill. That many members crossing the floor, like it just doesn't happen and not to that extent and it does take quite a bit of courage to go against your own party in that way. And so that was Fiona Martin, Bridget Archer, Trent Zimmerman, Katie Allen and Dave Sharma. And I can't help but note, I guess, that three of them are female, which is telling in a party where female representation is actually already significantly lacking. So the majority of these five were female. Bridget Archer particularly, who spoke out in support of trans kids so passionately, speaking about how the legislation could risk lives and that it would leave them open to bullying, exclusion or expulsion. Bridget Archer also stands out in that group because she also voted with Labor at the end of last year to push for a debate on a Commonwealth Integrity Commission. So she's seeing the issues and she's pushing for them. She's in a marginal seat, so I think it's in many cases worth her while there. But it does certainly take courage to go against the will of your own party. And well, apparently, especially when you're being bullied by the Prime Minister at every left turn. So yeah, exactly. And apparently, Scott Morrison, this has just come out today. He's not feeling too happy about this. He feels a little bit misled. Mm. Imagine that feeling misled. <laughs> so that was very, very early on Thursday morning when they crossed to support protections for transgender students to amend the Sex Discrimination Act. But then what ended up happening with the religious discrimination bill is basically they've kind of said, well, we're going to shelve this for now because it's too difficult. I I don't know what, but I did see that the Australian Christian lobby has basically pulled its support from the bill and says that it's not worthwhile. There's this fantastic opinion piece in the Sydney Morning Herald today, which basically says that the true nature and the true colours of this bill have come out, especially from groups like the Australian Christian lobby, because basically they're saying that, you know, because they're missing out on that little piece of being able to expel trans students from schools, that the bill is no longer worth considering its current form. So, like, I just think that that says it all, like that they wanted to discriminate against those kids. That's disgusting. Well done to these five who crossed the floor. Like, thank God you did. Yeah, and the fact that we had a government that was really angling for that to happen as well and and not acknowledging why that was so problematic, especially when you had people from all sides of parliament coming out this week and sharing really profound personal stories. You know, Minister Stephen Jones from the ALP who came forward about his really personal fears following the recent suicide of his teen nephew who was struggling with his sexuality and being open about it. And he spoke about losing him and and what that has meant for his family. But also he talked about his son who is non-gender conforming and wears high heels. And he implored the Prime Minister in a really bipartisan human way to consider, you know, what it means to walk in the heels of these kids and, you know, how cruel and, and Um, devastating this legislation could be if it had passed in that form. So, yeah, I mean, it is amazing that it hasn't. I hate the fact that it even got so close, but, yes, a really good result and it's really nice to see. I mean, obviously we see this so much in the UK politics now where people are getting up against their own sides of politics and speaking out. We've never seen that Australian politics, but I think it's, it's high time that we did see more of it. You know, clearly there are decisions being made on a somewhat unilateral level and they are going against 
a lot of what the people in that party represent and their own ideology. So it's important that they're getting up and speaking against it because if you don't, I mean, I get I get the fact that you need to have party consensus. I get that you need to look like you're unified in, in your decision making. But at the same time, you get into politics because you want to enact change and you want to see the things that are, are meaningful to you and your constituents come to life. And I think that to see those five Liberal MPs make that call show some courage um, at a time that's really quite precarious for them because obviously they're walking into an election is really impressive. I want to make just one final point. I know that I've already mentioned the Australian Christian Lobby, but, you know, special mention again to them. So they've come out. Like I, I just think that, like, this just says so much about where a lot of where we go with society exists. But they said that the package, like pretty much the entire thing, and the quote is, is fatally flawed because of that amended law. And this is what this piece in the Sydney Morning Herald points out today, and I hope that we we will um, link to it because I thought it was really powerful. But that amended law was never going to actually prevent schools from sacking a gay or a trans teacher. They could still have done that under this deal. The amended law was about preventing that happening to children, so preventing discrimination against children. And the Australian Christian lobby says it's fatally flawed and all of a sudden the entire thing is off the table. And there's other uh, there's other mitigating factors that I might say that I think Senator Andrew Bragg was indicating that he would cross the floor in the Senate as well, so it didn't look like it wouldn't get up, but say it like it is. Interesting use of words there with fatally flawed because, you know, this legislation, had it come to pass, would be fatal. It would have cost the lives of trans students probably who would have felt even more discriminated against in in their lives and um, we already know the suicide rates we know the devastation that causes so yeah look interesting use of words but yeah okay our next topic we want to talk about the new data that is out today from the workplace gender equality agency looking at the total remuneration gap between men and women. Well, that 2020-21 figure as part of this data snapshot from Widgia, if I can call them that. So there's a 22.8% gender pay gap. That's the total remuneration gender pay gap. So when you include other factors like bonuses, so that sees women earning $25,800 less on average than men. Nice. Bit bit of an issue, (laughs) but few positives. Four in ten employers have narrowed their pay gap since last year, but thirty seven percent of employers have widened their pay gap since last year. Twenty one percent remain static. It's really warming. (laughs) Can I share some more thoughts, please? Okay, so this data covers four million employees, around forty percent of Australia's total labour force. I think it's important to note that this covers larger employers. It covers employers with a hundred or more staff because they are required to report to the agency. So that's where they get their data from. But I wanted to point out, like this thing that always happens when we report on gender pay gaps and or we report on industry differences and things like that, we start to get like, you know, you get it across social media as well. You get the trolls out, but we start to get these emails coming to women's agenda. And I'm sure that all women's media do and potentially anyone across any media who would dare like point out some of this data that is coming through from various agencies that spend, you know, the entire year crunching this kind of information. And and they've already started for us. What we find is that these emails kind of, they sort of straddle both extremes in terms of tone. Like you get the blatantly abusive emails like, you bitches, what do you think you're saying? You're so stupid, blah, blah, blah. 
Then you get the other side, which is like aggressively polite. Like so yesterday there was one that was looking at oh, we were we were described as the learned ladies of women's agenda, and then this um very well thought out email about all the reasons why we were wrong in what we were factually reporting. But I guess one thing, you know, when we talk about the pay gap is that when we get these responses that are like, but it's all about the choices that women are making, you know, that women are choosing to go and work in these more feminized industries that also happen to be the care industries that also happen to be the critical industries that underpin basically everything about our lives. I'm talking about, you know, early childhood education. I'm talking about healthcare. I'm talking about uh, teaching. I'm talking about social services, those who work in aged care, all those industries that women choose to go and work in them. And yeah, they're, they're lower paid. So, you know, that explains this. And they kind of say it like that. That's the explanation. Therefore, that is okay. I feel like you read more of these emails than I do. I try to ignore them. <laughs> I do. Well, the other thing I love is when they're signed off by a woman or by a female sounding name and then you go and look at the email address or try and get a bit more information about the email address and it's clearly from a man <laughs> who has a completely different name. So anyway, this data is out today. We've always followed this data, obviously, and refer back to it across different stories. Widget did find that there is a gender pay gap across all 19 of the industry sectors that it studies. So the industry sectors, I guess you'd say, which covers pretty much you know, working in Australia. So all of them do have gender pay gaps, including, you know, there's still a 14.4% gender pay gap in healthcare and social assistance, despite that sector being dominated by men. They also have other details that are interesting that 22% of boards are still male only across these entities. 74% of boards are still 60% male. The CEO figure, it was... I want to say, yeah, one in five CEOs across reporting entities are female. So clearly there's still a, you know, the gaps in leadership are huge. Um, There's so much work to be done there, but the gender pay gap itself is still huge. And I wouldn't even want to work out, like if you said that it it was 0.5% less than the previous reporting period, you know, we could go and calculate how long it would actually take to close the gap then and it would be a very long time. Yes, so not exactly the most encouraging news that we want to hear, but I think it's even more problematic off the back of what we've all faced and how, you know, female-dominated industries have been so impacted by the pandemic. There are considerable gaps already. I mean, I know this is focusing on bigger bigger employers, but even in around female startups and, and businesses as well. So, we are walking into a time that's already quite volatile. So the fact that we're not making any kind of meaningful headway here is really frustrating. It is. Okay, so on that note, (laughs) should we wrap up or did you have anything else to share? On that positive note, I will end on a positive note because it is the International Day of Women and Girls in Science and we have a bit of content on site today, just looking at that, commemorating it, celebrating some of the change makers that are at the forefront. We've got a piece out by Jesse Two today that looks at kind of four STEM leaders who will reshape the world we know in 2022 and beyond. I encourage everyone to go and have a look at that and also to just get behind the stories and start to really know the names of some of these women because across the world and in Australia, we have got so much to be proud of. And again, in this time, in in light of 
the year that has been or the last couple of years that have been, this is a more positive take on that. But we have seen some leaders, female leaders in STEM, work towards things that have really taken us out of this pandemic. We should all be really indebted to those women. So let's celebrate today. Yeah, celebrate today. Dr. Michelle Rank that you've also published a piece on, she has a great little line just saying that you know, she couldn't have imagined a future with gender equity for women and girls in science 15 years ago, but she does believe that that's changing and she puts that down to the digital revolution and she goes through the why there as well as some of the hurdles that still exist. So go and check that out. There's so much great content. And I just say like women in STEM are so awesome across social media as well. Like they tell it like it is. So really active. So if you're looking for great people to follow, go on Twitter, check it out. You can find our STEM wrap and you can find our Twitter profile there and you'll see some of our lists of people that we follow if you're looking to get some great names into your social media as well. So I think that's a wrap for us, Tyler. All right. Thanks, Ange. Thank you. And we'll see you next week. The Women's Agenda podcast is published by Agenda Media, also the publisher of Women's Agenda. You can check out our daily newsletter, which hits inboxes just before lunchtime every day, and you can find all the stories that we've discussed and much more. You'll also find the stories that we've discussed on this particular episode on our website, as well as links to the stories in the notes for the show. Thank you for listening.